So I sometimes wonder what we today would think of things that happened in the Bible. I think they wouldn't hold the kind of surprise or fascination or terror for us moderns um, as they did prior to the advent of movies and television. Maybe we would look at the transfigured Jesus and say, oh, yeah, that happened to Darth Vader and Yoda in Star Wars. But this is no trick of the camera. This is something really extraordinary. It's something truly unique. As an ancient church father, Origen says, he said, this is Jesus made manifest in his true form to the disciples. They behold him in the form of God, the son of righteousness. So the disciples here were seeing the truth of Jesus. They were seeing who Jesus really was, the God of glory. So the word here that's used for transfiguration is metamorpho. And you probably recognize the word metamorphosis in this. We commonly think of a butterfly when we think of a metamorphosis, a change from one form to another. And it's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 12:2 when he exhorts believers to allow God to transform their thinking so that they know what God's will is and how to please God. And he uses the word again in 2 Corinthians to explain how believers are changed by the Spirit to become more like Christ. So in the transfiguration, the human form of Jesus was transformed. He was altered to show the truth of who he really was and is the second person in the Trinity, in full communion with the Father and Spirit. That's Jesus as he is meant to be. Indeed, this is Jesus as God, the Word made flesh, God incarnate. And the disciples were really able to see in that moment of transfiguration who Jesus was and the way things were meant to be. But I think that that's what Jesus was doing all along through his ministry, showing people how God really means things to be. Jesus came to show us God's way, his rightness or his justice. And God's justice is the way that God plans things to be. The Apostle Paul talks in Romans about the justice of men and the law, And that is punitive in nature. And he contrasts that with God's own justice, which is restorative and transformative. And the term used in the Greek for justice is rooted in God's goodness. And it's not something punitive. N.T. Wright, who is a renowned New Testament scholar, um, says that the justice Paul describes in Romans is the justice Jesus came to show us. It's the instrument of putting the world to right in its cosmic, restorative, transformative justice. Now, I am really good about knowing about the justice of Kelly. Um, And I think we're all pretty good at knowing what your justice is, what is right. So, for instance, when my husband drives, I did ask him if I could use this example. So just so you know, when he drives, he can be pretty hard on the drivers around him. And I think that he shouldn't be. So I think he's that the right way is to not be so hard on those drivers, except when I'm driving, 
I have a right to be hard on those drivers around me. And um, when my and I can complain about those drivers because that's my justice. And if my coworkers are late to work or they take an extra long lunch, that is not right. But if I do it, it's okay. I have a reason, and it's, it's right for me to do. So, of course, the rules that govern both the road and the workplace, there are rules. And if you break those rules, sometimes they result in separation, either from your job or from your driver's license. Um, but that's the kind of punitive justice the law brings to bear. Um, and it's the kind of justice that's been around for thousands and thousands of years um, since the first ancient Eastern governments. Doing something wrong leads to punishment that's often in the form of separation. Um, that is certainly true when you look at the criminal justice system in the United States. The U.S. has the highest incarceration rate in the world. 698 people per 100,000 people are incarcerated in the U.S. In Kentucky, the rate of separating people um, who are accused and convicted crimes is 869 people per 100,000 people. That's higher than the overall U.S. rate. By contrast, the United Kingdom separates 139 people per 100,000 people. Um, and research tells us that some of the factors that contribute to criminal activity are, broadly speaking, poverty, lack of employment, um, lack of education, broken family relationships. Um, so that means that those who commit crimes are separated initially from healthy economic, healthy educational, and healthy family systems. Then... They're incarcerated, and that leads to further separation from healthy economic, educational, and family systems. This is not a sermon on the U.S. justice system or its failings, but the fact is that the world's justice is punitive, and it causes separation. And we are all part and parcel of that system. But separation is not God's idea of justice. God's idea of justice is, again, transformative and restorative. Um, Derek Flood wrote a book called Healing the Gospel, and he writes, The way God demonstrates justice is not by acquitting the unrighteous, but by making them good. God's actions are life-giving and transforming. God's justification of us through Jesus his justice toward us is being set right. It is real change in who we are, in how we live, and in how we think. So let's look for a moment at the way Jesus acted in the world. At the beginning of his ministry, he declares right at the beginning that he's all about transformation and restoration. In Luke chapter 4, he goes to the synagogue and he tells everyone what his purpose is when he reads from the prophets. And this is what he reads, or this is what happens. Jesus went back to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as usual, he went to the meeting place on the Sabbath. When he stood up to read from the scriptures, he was given the book of Isaiah the prophet. He opened it and read, The Lord's Spirit has come to me because he has chosen me to tell the good news to the poor. 
The Lord has sent me to announce freedom for prisoners, to give sight to the blind, to free everyone who suffers, and to say, this is the year the Lord has chosen. So Jesus begins by proclaiming that he will restore dignity to the poor by telling them the good news first. He'll go on to restore freedom to prisoners, sight to the blind, and he'll release people from suffering. Lives are going to be restored and transformed through God's justice and his rightness. And Jesus goes on to do just what he said he would. A few verses later in Luke 4, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And I don't think it was just so she could get up and fix them supper. My sister-in-law has a huge family. She has over 200 cousins. Um, And her aunt was 103 years old when she died in January. And my sister-in-law was very sad. And part of that sadness was because now that her aunt has died, relationships are going to be broken. And it's not because of acrimony, um, but her aunt was the glue that held that family together. Everyone came for her birthday, and um, they celebrated holidays at her home. But with her passing... My sister-in-law fears the ungluing of relationships. So maybe Peter's mother-in-law was like that. She was the glue that kept things in relationship. And Jesus restored that. Jesus restored other relationships, too, when he brought the dead back from life, or the dead to life. The widow of Nain in Luke 7 is grieving the death of her son. She's already a widow, and now she's lost her child. And in that culture. She's childless, husbandless. She has no means of support. And all her economic relationships are severed. Um, But Jesus restores that when he brings her son back to life. And then in Luke 8, we find him bringing Jairus's daughter back to life. So he's restored. He's transformed this grief-stricken family. They're hopeless, but now they have hope. They have restored relationships maybe even with future grandchildren. On the way to Jairus' house, Jesus also heals a woman who's had an issue of blood for 12 years. It was painful, and she'd run through all of her resources in her quest to be healed. But the issue of blood also caused broken relationships in that culture. Because of her constant bleeding, she would have been shunned. She would have been unclean. But once she was healed, she could return to society. Her healing was for more than healing. It was for the sake of restoration and transformation. Jesus also heals a leper in Luke chapter 5. Leprosy has been called the living death, not only because of the disease process, but because the lepers were designated as unclean and they had to live outside the community. They had to wear special clothes and they rang a bell and said they were leprous and people ran away from them. They were untouchable. But that changed when Jesus healed the leper and he could immediately go to the priest. He could begin the process of being restored to his family and to his faith community. His life was transformed. So transformation, transfiguration, metamorphosis is what God is all about. And we're shown that through the life of Christ. But we're also shown that through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. God became flesh, incarnate, 
to restore and transform our relationship with God's self. This is the justice that, of God that Paul talks about when he says in Romans chapter 5, By faith in Christ, we have been made acceptable to God. And now, because of our Lord Jesus Christ, we live at peace with God. Even when we were God's enemies, he made peace with us because his son died for us. Yet something even greater than friendships is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, we will be saved by his son's life. And in addition to everything else, we are happy because God sent our Lord Jesus Christ to make peace with us. Because of the good things that Christ has done, God accepts us and gives us the gift of life. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, transformed our eternity and he restored our relationship with God. He ascended into heaven to be with God forever. And when we have faith in Christ and the work he did on the cross, that is our future as well. That's our eternity. Jesus came to transform and to restore, to show the justice of God. He came to transform or transfigure you and me, to take us from a life that leads to death and one that leads to eternity. So not only did Peter, James, and John see Jesus transformed on that mountain, but they were transformed from fishermen into fishers of men and disciples of Jesus and apostles of the church. So what does this mean for us as a community of believers? If Christ is our example, what does it look like for us to be agents of transformation and in restoration in a world that's sorely in need of transformation? I think it requires that we daily live lives of transfiguration, Lives that are extraordinary. And it doesn't mean that we have to be Superman or Superwoman. It means instead of being divisive, we are unifying. It means instead of causing harm, we pursue healing. It means that we pursue peace and restoration in all venues of life. Home, school, work, social media. Maybe it means that a church becomes involved in the work of restorative justice or the strengthening of marriages or becoming a place where families can reconcile. Peter, James, and John saw a transfigured, a transformed Jesus when they went up with that, on that mountain with him to pray. They saw Jesus as he really was. Jesus' life shows us how God really means things to be restored to relationship with God and with each other. And as his followers, it's incumbent upon us to show that to the world. So let's be agents of transformation and transfiguration in a world that needs both.